They've taken a different approach where they have just retooled their entire organization. They've called it Meta. We're doing the metaverse. This is where we're going. Uh, so who knows? It will, you know, remains to be seen if that will sort of play out in their favor. everyone, welcome to the Metacast Roundtable by Navic. This is your one-stop podcast to stay up to date with all of the latest game business news and their insights. I'm joined by David Amor, CEO of Playmint, and Matt Dian, lead product manager at IEA and also contributor at Navic. You may have seen in the latest Navic Digest his breakdown of Marvel Snap. Hi. Hello, hello. Hey. Hey, Matt got married. Congratulations, Matt. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it was a wedding where dogs were allowed. Many dogs were allowed. Dogs were encouraged. <laughs> what was, was your awesome. favorite wedding gift? My favorite wedding gift, uh, you're going to laugh, but it was just having all of our friends and family there, oh. like Aww. more so than any any oh. like present. It was, you know, it's so rare to get people together in one place from all these different parts of your life, you know, both my fiance, my wife, now wife and I have, have moved around quite a bit and we have friends from all over the country, all over the world. So it was great to have everyone just in one place so we could celebrate together. Wow. Sounds like sweet. a well-rehearsed answer if you ask me. Yeah. No, no, I didn't know you were going to ask me that question. <laughs> I was wondering if friends and family are listening to this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I guarantee you they are not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a less exciting update, but I couldn't play Overwatch 2 because I have a prepaid SIM card. And they don't allow that for players who didn't own the previous Overwatch. So I am a 30-year-old who had to use my mom's phone number from Portugal in order to play Overwatch 2. So thank you, Activision Blizzard, for this. Really? I can't begin to understand what they've done there. Yeah, so... (laughs) But you got in. I did. Did did. Did you like it? Uh, yeah, it was okay. Oh, dear. <laughs> That's the most the negative I've ever heard you, Maria. The other thing that I've learned about Maria is she doesn't really form an opinion until she's put in about 50 hours. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> I, it was fun to play with my friend. It definitely feels like the tanks are too OP, so it wasn't very fun as a noob. I would just get crushed all the time. But yeah, it's very beautiful, the art. It was good. It was good. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on from this. (laughs) So today we're going to try a bit of a different format. So if you have feedback, please let us know. Send me an email. You have my email in the show notes. First, we're going to hit through some some updates very quickly. We're going to go through PlayStation's earnings. TikTok is going to launch a playable games tab. Netflix acquires yet another game studio. And we'll also quickly look at Rovio's earnings. Today is the earnings, earnings week. And then we're going to go into the discussion topics where we'll be doing some analysis and predictions based on Microsoft's earnings and Meta's earnings. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So I actually have the first update, which is PlayStation's earnings. So Sony's game and network services division, it reported revenues going up 12% year over year. However, their profit declined sharply by 49%. They said that the decline in profit was due to an increase in the game development and acquisition costs, that includes the Bungie acquisition, and also the negative impact of foreign exchange rates, which we've been seeing being mentioned in many of these global companies' earnings calls. The gaming division is going to revise the full-year forecast down 12%, um, citing lower-than-expected sales of third-party games, And if we look back at PlayStation's game launches in the past quarter, I think you'll agree that there wasn't really anything that was surprising or a smashing hit to motivate those sales. And then for the second quarter in a row, now this is the really important takeaway, the company saw a decline in the number of PlayStation Plus subscribers. What may come as a surprise is that despite the decline in the subscribers, Sony's network services revenue, which includes the PlayStation Plus, actually increased by 10%. So what does this tell us? It says that it indicates that subscribers opted for the two higher price tiers of PlayStation Plus, so the extra and the premium, um, since the revenue per subscriber is up 21% year over year, 
we'll keep it, we'll be keeping an eye on on what the subscriber and PlayStation Network um, monthly active users decline means, regardless of the revenue growth, because this could be an indicator that the subscriptions addressable market could be shrinking. And it also increases PlayStation's skin in the game, where they have to keep investing in making the higher price tiers of their subscription attractive so that they do not lose subscribers to the lower tiers. Mm. Any quick thoughts before we move on? You know, I think, uh, what would you rather have, an increase in revenue or a decrease in profits? If they, if it's a decrease in profits because they're buying interesting studios, that feels okay. I don't know, I don't suppose you want declining PSN numbers, though, do you? Was it a decline in subscribers or a decline in the growth of subscribers? Um, they lost subscribers. They lost subscribers overall. Yeah. Interesting. There was a, there's a decline in terms of the subscriber numbers and also a decline in the monthly active users. However, wow. the revenue is up. So uh-huh. even though they lost subscribers, this, like a percentage of the subscribers opted for the higher price tiers. And that's I'm how... Yeah, I, I was going to ask, I'm a little further away from console these days. How much is the absence of a PlayStation 5? The fact that I can't buy a PS5, does that have a negative impact on Sony's numbers here? Mm-hmm. I would think so. Um, part of why we've seen also the revenues go go up in general is because they um, solve some of their stock issues in terms of the production. Right. So right. we have seen healthier sales, even though they're still below target of what they're expecting to sell in terms of hardware this year they still seem very confident that they'll be able to hit the numbers. Um, okay. Probably because, yeah, the supply issues have been fixed and we still have the holiday season coming through. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, keep, we'll be keeping an eye on that. Oh, no, another update from me. Okay, we'll jump in <laughs> that very quickly. So this is TikTok's uh, playable games tab. In the last episode, we discussed Marvel Snap's mobile game launch, which was published by Newverse, which is owned by ByteDance, who is also the parent company of TikTok. So TikTok is about to launch a new dedicated tab for mobile games, and according to a Financial Times report, um, the sources say that the new tab will, quote, feature a host of mobile games where ads can be served and users can pay for additional content. So titles published by ByteDance are said to be in the mix. So I hope we'll see Marvel Snap being added to the tab. I'm, I I'm shaking. I'm shaking my head. You can't have a store within a store. They're not allowed to do that. Yeah, they? that was going to be the the counter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess Facebook had their instant games, right? But they never were able to monetize. You were never able to have IAPs, but mm-hmm. then famously, right? Because we had some of those. So yeah, this sounds like a store within a store. I'm not sure Apple are going to buy that. Are they friends with TikTok? I don't know. Um, well, I think they already released some playable games, but they're extremely basic and they don't have monetization. It's more games that then can be engaged for content rather than them trying to monetize their games. So I, Marvel Snap, it would, I think it would be good content, but I think they will definitely hit that, that, that wall of not being able to be a store within a store. So we'll have to see what kind of games they're going to publish within this tab. All right, Matt. All right, next update. So Netflix has acquired another gaming studio. This one is called Spry Fox Studio, based out of Seattle. Um, They're an independent developer. Financial terms were not disclosed. Uh, Spry Fox was founded back in 2010, uh, so a 12-year run before acquisition. Pretty good. Um, Founders were David Edery and Daniel Cook. Both are ex of Microsoft. Um, I had not heard of Daniel Cook, but apparently a lot of folks in my network... um, were are and were impressed by his writing on game design is apparently a very well-known game designer uh so kudos to those guys for the exit um this is the sixth in-house uh netflix studio joining studios like next games night school studio boss fight entertainment and others Uh, i should say that spry fox is known for making puzzle games and cozy games um i think their latest was a game called cozy grove and they are saying that their current games will remain available for download in their current form, in their current forms, on their current platforms. They're already working on making Cozy Grove 2 and, quote, a larger nonviolent MMO. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is uh, yet another notch in Netflix's belt. I think it kind of makes sense from a genre perspective, like, you know, Cozy Games, kind of like you can play them. Uh, passively, idly, while you're watching Netflix, if you want. It kind of fits in with some of the other genres that they've already acquired. 
um, next games being like a sort of a puzzle studio, casual studio. Um, uh, worth mentioning that this studio, Spry Fox, had previously partnered with Epic for publishing Cozy Grove. Uh, so sort of an existing relationship there. And yeah, as I mentioned, 12 years before an exit, which is a pretty good run for an independent studio. Uh, they had, from what I could see on Crunchbase, no venture capital backing or anything like that. So uh, I think it's a nice... Nice exit for the founders. They're a great... God, I lost a lot of time to Triple Town. Do you ever play that game? I think it might have been the first ever merge. Is it? Was it the first ever merge game? First merge game I played, for sure. Oh. So good. So good. I just... Um, you know, great team. As you say, great designers. Um, so I don't really understand the Netflix strategy of buying mobile games. You would have, I would have thought it'd be more compatible with games that they stream in some way. I don't understand what that is, but... Uh, Anyway, that's uh, it's certainly a great developer to acquire. We made some great games. Yeah, I think more to come here, right? We've, I think we we on this podcast have already talked quite a bit about Netflix, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. this is just another sort of stepping stone for them. So we'll see. We'll see how it all seems, comes. They seem serious, don't they? I'm I'm all for nonviolent games nowadays. I'm really enjoying Stray to finally have a game I can enjoy and not have to oh, kill nice. any kill anyone. Yet. So, and I love that they're doing cozy games. Do you know when an anime? Do you know when an anime hugs something? It's like you're squeezing it. That's kind of <laughs> what I want to do to this studio. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, last last update before we move into the discussion topics. Uh, so Rovio's uh, third quarter earnings. Um, if you remember, in the first quarter, Rovio reported strong results with an increase of revenue and DAU, which surprised the market at a time as a company that was being able to shine through the general downtrend and performance marketing struggles post iOS ATT. Um, the Q3 results, they report growth in revenue, but a decline in operating profit. Um, so, but seeing Rovio's continued revenue growth between January and September, it continues to stave off the industry, industry's trend of decline. So seeing some decline in their operating profit, I don't think we need to be alarmist and just see how they continue to perform because they have strong indicators there. In the earnings call, they revealed new details about 10 new games that they're developing and they're doubling down on their strategy of live operations talent. Um, they say that they are laying the ground to strengthen their position for further growth as the market recovers. Um, more than one new game is within the Angry Birds franchise. So Rovio is remaining focused on the flagship IP and is spanning multiple genres, such as a choice-driven storyline game, an RPG and casual puzzle, Their most exciting bet is Angry Birds Next. I think that's a code name, which is going to be a cross-platform multiplayer title that targets Gen Z. Little more is known, but that definitely sounds really exciting. Additionally, they had a team of industry veterans in Montreal who joined them, and they're experts in doing prototyping and market tests, and they joined Rovio to produce hybrid casual games. So it sounds like a perfect glove fit for Rovio's ambitions. Yeah, very excited. We'll see where Ovio goes throughout the year. What do you mean? What do you mean by crossplay? You mean PlayStation Xbox versions? If they didn't mention specific platforms. I can assume at least mobile, um, and then other platforms, maybe PC. Yeah, they haven't. They haven't shared too much. Mm. All right. Uh, so Matt, you have Microsoft's earnings. Yeah, more earnings. Um, so let's see. We're going to talk about Microsoft. Uh, I'm going to quote a little bit from the Axios article here. Um, uh, essentially, they they suffered their slowest earnings growth in two years. Um, and there were a lot of reasons offered in the various sources that I was reading. One was the currency fluctuations that Maria mentioned earlier in the PlayStation piece. I think you'll see this with a lot of earnings calls coming up. Uh, strong dollar uh, impacting currency um conversion. Uh, there was also uh, some credit to the cloud business, maybe underperforming expectations. That's a huge segment of Microsoft, but of greatest interest to us, of course, is the gaming segment of Microsoft. So um, they had a 7% drop in sales year over year, the video game business, the hardware sales of Xbox uh, fell by 11%. Content and services were 6% lower. Um, they were saying in part because of lower user engagement, and they also said that revenue would likely decline again this quarter. Um, one thing I learned in doing this research, I did not realize, is that the CEO, Satya Nadella, part of his compensation is tied to the performance of Xbox Game Pass. 
and that was also an area of weakness in the earnings call uh, just completed. They were targeting a 73% growth rate for Game Pass uh, for the fiscal year ending in June. And part of uh, his performance incentives, Satya Nadella's performance incentives, um, are tied to this, but they only achieved 28% compared to 73% uh, target. So uh, a huge miss there. Um, he missed out on $37 million worth of stock. Um, don't feel too bad for him. He still made $55 million last year. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, uh, Game Pass, uh, they were saying accounts for uh, 10 to 15% of the company's content and services revenue. Uh, and uh, Phil Spencer, head of Xbox, was saying he doesn't really expect it to go beyond 15% uh, in the future. Uh, but, uh, you know, to look at the bright side, um, Game Pass growth was, quote, incredible on PC. They were up 159% year over year on PC. So some solid growth there, uh, albeit in a smaller segment. Um, and uh, growth had slowed down on console. Um, Quote, mainly because at some point you've reached everybody on console that wants to subscribe. Uh, there was also, I think think this is kind of a vanity metric, but maybe we can talk about this a little bit. They said more than 20 million have streamed via cloud gaming. Um, I think it's a vanity metric because it doesn't show like repeat engagement. It's just a raw number. So mm-hmm. like I've used the cloud streaming and I've quickly exited out of it as well. So, um, you know, we can talk about that a little bit more when we get to the discussion here. Um, So uh, talking about lack of growth on Game Pass, right? So why do we think that might be? Uh, They attributed it to a lack of major game releases. Um, And I think that's true, especially when you compare what they've done to, say, Sony or Nintendo. Uh, Quote, one thing we've heard loud and clear is that it's been too long since we shipped what people would say was a big first-party game. That's Phil Spencer. Um, So um, not a great report for Microsoft on the gaming front. Um, We have a few things that we can look to in the future here. The big sort of elephant in the room is the Activision Blizzard acquisition, right? So this is still kind of undergoing scrutiny uh, in the EU and the UK. Um, The EU has sent out questionnaires to developers on this topic. The uh, Competitive Markets Authority in UK is still looking into it. Actually, they issued a report that said the Microsoft Activision deal Gives rise, gives rise to, quote, a realistic prospect of a substantial lessening of competition in multi-game subscription services uh, should Microsoft put Call of Duty on Game Pass. Hmm. This is in the context of Call of Duty just having its biggest launch weekend ever at 800 million plus. Uh, that's huge. Um, <laughs> I thought this was funny. Modern Warfare 2 has sold $800 million worth of copies in just its first three days, uh, beating out Modern Warfare 3 Wait, what? in 2011. Yeah, so the naming conventions, <laughs> a little bit funky. Time travel. Yeah, Modern Warfare 3 came out in 2011. <laughs> okay. Here we are, 11 years later, Modern Warfare 2. So um, yeah, go ahead. In terms, yeah. in terms of the Game Pass uh, growth rate, is that in terms of subscriber count? What I believe so, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, you know what? I'm looking at my notes. I... I'm not sure if it was uh, revenue from Game Pass or subscriber uh, growth, yeah. but but they were targeting 73% growth rate and they only achieved 28%. Yeah, I think looking, it emphasizes the point of seeing in PlayStation the decline in the number of subscribers that maybe they have reached just a natural ceiling in terms of how many people on the console they can convert. But also we're going through a stage where a lot of people are cu- cost-cutting and mm-hmm. you have multiple subscriptions in the household. And unless you have content that makes you subscribe, I believe that consumers are becoming more savvy where they'll cancel a subscription temporarily and just do more admin to make sure that they're only keeping mm-hmm. on the subscriptions that they need to use. So it could be a bigger impact than what's being communicated that the fact of Game Pass not having hit titles to draw players to subscribe. I think it's interesting that PlayStation are down and Microsoft are up and uh, we're giving Microsoft more of a hard time than uh, PlayStation. I know that in the markets, it's always about delivering what you said you were going to deliver, not what the actual numbers are. It's relative to what you said was going to happen. So I, hmm. I, I get that. 
I, I also find that what Phil Spencer says, I, I find him the most straight-talking executive in the games business. I mean, what he said there, he said two things that I think that you're, we would say, right? We would say, yeah, there hasn't been any enormous first-party game recently. That's a pretty honest appraisal. And the other one is, hey, I think anybody that wants a game pass is probably have got one by now. There's 25 million game passes. And how many Xboxes? Are they active? So, I mean, it can't be that, you know. Yeah, they, I, I didn't, that they didn't share, um, I, I don't know how you call the metric, they didn't share to the, the number of, of console, yeah, of console owners, how many subscribe to the, to the game packs. But and I, I mean, found- if it's 25, if there are 25 million game passes, there seems to be subscriptions, then uh, that's got to be close to the number of active Xboxes, hasn't it? I mean, I can believe that statement is what I have to say. I don't know. You know, even if it's half, then it's still some way into that, um, into that yeah. total user base. I think they do know that they have to put out hit titles. And it sounds like that is cooking in the oven right now. They understand how important it is. But if, if it's not out right now, I can understand why they're struggling to achieve their targeted growth rates. Matt, do you think that they had expectations when they set these targets that they would have had more hit titles released to the Game Pass than they actually did? I think it's possible. Um, they certainly weren't counting on Call of Duty, right? They had initially estimated that that deal would go through like June or July of next year. So mm-hmm. that wasn't baked in, but um, there was the Bethesda acquisition. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm just speaking from memory here, but I'm fairly confident that the games like Starfield and other big hits from Bethesda have been pushed back a little bit. Mm. Uh, so maybe that was a that was a factor. That's certainly one of their biggest upcoming, you know, day one releases that they've been pointing to. Um, so certainly, it's a possibility. Yeah. If you set a target of seventy three percent growth and you hit what was it twenty four something? I can't remember twenty eight. And to clarify, I, th- I think it was revenue because they don't, I'm looking at the Axios article now, they don't publish their subscriber target counts. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking that for it to be that off the mark, then it sounds like something that they expected to ship didn't ship, mm-hmm. right? Or something they expected to happen didn't happen. It's not, it's not a rounding error, is it? That's a significant miss. Yeah, in yeah. my experience, so you, you and I, well, you're working at EA, I've worked there before. It's always about getting stuff out in the quarter and the pressure mm-hmm. to do that feels like <laughs> something slipped out to me. Um, you know, something that was interesting that came up as I was doing my research, it was not so much related to gaming, but I'm kind of making the connection as you were talking there, David. They mentioned there was a lot of um, demand that had been pulled forward during COVID where people were upgrading their PCs and they were spending on like office products, for example, and like, you know, getting the new version of windows or whatever. And that has kind of subsided now. Uh, So perhaps that is also the case with, um, you know, getting a new console uh, during lockdowns and getting the game pass along with it, or same thing for PC, getting your new gaming PC and, and getting game pass. Maybe some of that was pulled forward during the COVID lockdowns and that has kind of subsided a little bit. I'm speculating, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's possible. They mentioned that effect as it relates to other segments of their business. Yeah. Yeah. How much of, I'm going to throw a question. You might not have the answer, but how much of devices and services is games? Cause it, it includes, if I remember Microsoft, that category includes things like uh, mice and keyboards and various other things. I, I don't recall how much of it is games. Put me on the spot. I don't know the answer. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, Matt, that's okay. <laughs> uh, there's a ton of research that you did on that. I just uh, got to bring Aaron much. back for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'd have it. He, Aaron is listening to it right now. He has it. Yeah. So. <laughs> How do you not know? <laughs> my, my understanding from my research as well is that the year on year growth of the PC Game Pass uh, subscriptions and revenue is also a vanity metric. Because it was a fairly small number right, to yeah. start with yeah. as well. It sounds impressive, but actually in terms of results, it's not that significant. Do you think uh you know, if you're the president of if you're uh, the president of Microsoft, do you think you're having conversations with uh, Phil Spencer saying, No, you know, I was planning on my seventh house that I was gonna buy with this and you've missed the mark and now uh, I'm taking a hit on it. Or do you think it's all cool? 
up in the C-suite. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. <laughs> somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I'm not going to invite you to my seventh house. <laughs> but I'm still going to build it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like they have quite a lot on the line in terms of the Activision Blizzard um, acquisition. If I think count- so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a huge um, source of content for them, right? Um, obviously, Call of Duty is the jewel in that deal. But um, let's not forget all the Blizzard titles. Let's not forget Candy Crush and everything from King, giving them a major presence on mobile. Um, so, I mean, that, yeah, that's um, it's it's a huge get for them. And, uh, you know, one thing I meant to mention there is um, I think they, they had um, made the acquisition at something like $95 a share. And Activision, when I checked last night, was trading at something like 73, roughly, mm-hmm. which implies that, the markets are pessimistic, let's say, uh, that the deal will go through. Um, so we'll see. Obviously, increased scrutiny. Uh, I still think it's going to happen. but um, and, and the company was saying it's still on track for that June 23 date. So more to come there. But uh, as you say, a lot riding on this. And um, just to kind of like look ahead at some other sort of headwinds that they're facing, they recently went through some layoffs. Um, which uh, did apparently touch the Xbox division. I don't know, you know how, how deep those layoffs were. Was, I think it was quoted around 1,000 employees. Um, they're also in a hiring freeze. Um, and uh, supposedly working on a mobile gaming store. I don't know how true or not true that is. The, I was listening to the Deconstructor of Fun uh, pod recently, and they were very pessimistic on that being an actual story. Um, yeah, we, and- we discussed it. Uh, last yeah. week as well. We're also pessimistic. We're hopeful, but we don't know how feasible is actually going to be to, yeah. to deliver. Yeah, you mentioned store within a store earlier, yeah. right? Like, how's that going to work? Um, but you know, let's let's just assume that they are doing this. Well, if they don't get the Activision deal done, then Candy Crush and all their mobile games, all, all the King mobile games, uh, the few Blizzard mobile games, like those are not coming. Um, that's not filling their app store if they do do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's, there's. I think I'm, I'm confident with their, with their strategy and what will come next, because it seems like they're making the right bets in terms of cloud and trying to reach players through new devices. They have the Game Pass on. Uh, was it Quest? Is that how it's called the VR device of Meta? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quest. They did a partnership with Twitch recently, where I think if you make a payment to a creator or reward, you get a free. A PC Game Pass subscription for three months. Hmm. They're also doing that partnership with Samsung so that you can play via cloud through the through the television. So they're trying to reach players through these new platforms. And it seems like the right call if they're starting to see a plateau in terms of subscriptions on console, for example. Yeah. Additionally, I believe they're trying to find potential acquisitions or investments within Chinese game studios so that they can have more um, titles that target that market and to grow their presence. I believe I read a a quote that they want to try to help studios based in China to release games more globally. And I think from what I understood, Xbox and Microsoft were always sour about the fact that they didn't sign Genshin Impact. I believe they were very close to signing it and then they decided to not go through or it fell through. And now it's not, it's actually not available on the Game Pass. You can play it on PC um, through the Epic Game Store, for example. But they missed out on that massive opportunity of Genshin Impact, which for some markets, it's almost as um, fundamental as Fortnite is. And so I think they're trying to shop around and try to find what's the next Genshin Impact. For me, it does cause some concern that they're trying to find a hit title to a hit title. And if we look at the past, that hasn't gone very well because you already have such a strong presence in that mm-hmm. market. So yeah. we'll we'll have to see. They're trying to expand further. I think they're trying to also reduce the risk in case the Activision Blizzard acquisition falls through. Yeah, they've never made much headway into Asia, right? I mean, uh, always PlayStation has dominated in Japan, and uh, I haven't seen them with a big presence in China. I don't know that market particularly well, but it doesn't seem that they it's a particularly big brand over there. Yeah, it's uh, probably I mean, a, a huge growth if they can get it right, but uh, historically haven't been able to do that. Is that correct? 
Yeah, and I was looking at, uh, there was a report recently from Nico Partners looking at the growth of female gamers in Asia mm-hmm. and their preferred mm-hmm. genre is RPGs. So like, there, is, right. there is a market there. And the second preferred genre is racing. So I don't know, get, get Forza over the line. I'm not sure. Yeah, but I just think that the the style of games in China just feels so different from that the West, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's always hard as a Western developer to try and understand exactly what kind of game should be acquired or or built for those markets, unless you live and breathe those markets. And Microsoft don't. Yeah, overall, it's leveling up their ability to detect those opportunities and get acquainted with the market. Mm-hmm. And yeah. hopefully they're doing that after passing up Genshin, Genshin Impact. And I believe a similar thing happened where they passed up G- one of the GTAs and then PlayStation. Really? Had that? Yeah, yeah. I think it was a PlayStation 2, one of the GTAs. So they lost that opportunity as well. Probably a bit sour of losing these big titles <laughs> to, to Sony. Well, not Grand Theft Auto, but breaking news this morning, they invested in a Korean blockchain gaming company. You'll be interested to know, David. Oh, uh, really? Called, called We Made. Uh, Microsoft did. Microsoft did. Yeah, they were huh. one of one of the investors. Yeah. There you go. I didn't know they were doing M and A in uh, Blockchain Web three. Maybe I need to call out some old friends in Microsoft. <laughs> Perhaps. Okay, so we'll next cover Meta's earnings analysis. So it's a bit tangential to to gaming. I think it's such a, an important market that could be developing in terms of VR and AR gaming that I think is important to to cover it. So Meta's shares tanked by nearly 25% as a consequence of its quarterly results that reported profits had been halved during the third quarter. So profits are down uh, around 49%, revenue is down 4%, and costs are up 19%. So Meta is continuing to experience a slowdown in terms of ad spend amidst growing competition with TikTok, for example, but also continued headwinds from the iOS ATT privacy changes and reduced ad spend due to the economic downturn. Uh, critics and shareholders are a bit angry and they heighten calls for Meta to abandon its expensive pivot into the metaverse. However, Meta shows no end in sight in wanting to abandon um, their metaverse pursuits. The company further alarmed investors uh, once they warned that losses for the Reality Labs division, which is the division that's exploring the metaverse, would grow significantly next year, uh, with the overall capital spending growing as much as $39 So Meta's market cap, I looked at from the beginning of the year, is currently 250 billion, so that is down nearly 75% from December 2021, which is at 950 billion. Meta is not having a very good time. <laughs> no, but they're doubling down on their. It feels like a, a. It feels like a culmination of things. Like everybody's a bit down on Meta anyway, and then. A lot of people dislike their metaverse plans where they're either because they don't believe in that strategy or they're just spending a ton of money. And then you get a quarterly earnings recall, uh, uh, report that sort of reaffirms that things aren't going the way in which they'd hope. It feels like a culmination of those things where everybody's starting to lose uh, confidence in that company a little. So the earning there's a big discussion going on at the moment as to whether the earnings share value results from meta's heavy investment into the metaverse or if it's also heavily um being still being impacted with the effects of ios att privacy changes do you have any thoughts i was just going to say can it be both things can both of those be true i think i think it can i did a lot of research and i know that there are still headwinds happening in terms of the iOS ATT privacy changes, but it seems like it's also due to the competition and looking further into how much they're investing into the metaverse, which is without proof of return at the moment, because uh, if you look at Horizon Worlds, it's currently struggling to grow its user base. The avatar legs demo was not actually working tech um, their target was to reach uh, 500,000 monthly active users, but it currently stands at 200,000 and it is declining. So they're making a, a heavy investment without a proven critical adoption of this technology. I, I think 
they're trying to build the market for VR. And that requires a heavy investment throughout years. And you might only find out if you've managed to make a profit or get a return on that bet with a 10-year horizon. And there's significant risk of failure. So my question is, how deep does Meta's war chest run out to create this market? Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? I think that if um, everybody believed in Meta's vision of the metaverse, then people would be more comfortable spending $15 billion this year and $39 billion next year in getting there. And you're right, Mm -hmm. like if anybody can, then... Uh, meta with the hardware and the bank balance could probably do it. I think it's that that people don't feel confident in. I don't know if it's about the metaverse full stop or just meta's version of the metaverse, but uh, it's you you don't find many supporters of their version that 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 I can see. Maybe it's just not fashionable to to get behind what meta's doing, but it just doesn't seem to have the market behind it. Phil Spencer, we were speaking about Phil Spencer previously as being very candid with his thoughts. He said in an interview about the metaverse, which definitely seems like he was talking about meta without saying meta. (laughs) He says, it's a poorly built video game. Building a metaverse that looks like a meeting room, I just find that's not where I want to spend most of my time. And the horizon worlds that meta is building is basically a meeting room. It's not very fun. It's not colorful. It's quite, it seems quite serious. And also, I think they're also going to struggle to grow their user base anyway, because it's currently limited that you have to have a Quest um, headset in order to participate. So until you penetrate that market in terms of adoption, then your your metaverse will feel very empty. Yeah, I think I'm with Phil. (laughs) So (laughs) the overall, to give you a bit of a comparison, the overall R&D investment um, totals over 100 billion and meta's annual expenditure in r&d comes close to apple's yearly r&d expenditure for its entire business like entire business we're talking about the mixed reality headset that they're exploring uh, iphone technology whatever else that they're trying to to make a bet on it's the same as metaverse sorry meta's investment in the metaverse what are they spending it all on? That just seems like, as you said, there's a bit of a disconnect between the, the I, I haven't used it, so maybe that's not fair, but the, the videos that I've seen that doesn't look like it's had a ton of money spent on it. I don't, I don't see it. I don't know how the money breaks down, but they're, they're spending on software, the horizon worlds, they're spending on hardware, the quest headsets, and they're also acquiring VR studios left and right. Okay. Um, so, there's at least those three big buckets that they're dumping millions, billions into, excuse me. Yeah, and part of the increased spend that they announced and frightened investors further is that they have to acquire more server infrastructure, something like that, which is to mm. scale um, the okay. infrastructure for the for the metaverse. So let's let's take a break from um, the metaverse discussion. So if we look up, because the question overall is how much is ATT also having an impact? So Meta estimated in February that the ATT changes would cost them an estimated $10 billion in lost revenue in 2022. However, I was reading the earnings call transcripts, and they said the headwind to, over, to year-over-year growth from Apple's ATT changes diminished in Q3 as we lapped the first full quarter post the launch of iOS 14.5. However, this was offset by weak advertising demand, which we believe continues to be impacted by the uncertain and volatile macroeconomic landscape. So even Meta seems to confirm that it is a small impact. Maybe they're not being fully forthright about this. It does sound like it's reduced ad spend um, and reduced revenue that they're getting per ad in their products that's affecting this. So my, my prediction is that it is the investment into the metaverse without proven results of that return that is scaring their, their shareholders. Yeah, I think so. I think that I would agree. A bit of both, but mostly metaverse. A lot of spend, no promise of a return. People not feeling particularly confident in their vision of the metaverse feels like it. And maybe the ATT seems to affect Meta more than other companies because they were really geared for that targeting of users in a way that yeah. it feels like 
you and I, Maria, had a conversation with Matei a couple of weeks ago where he was talking about UA and he's saying, hey, you just got to approach UA in a different way. Mm -hmm. And it feels like I've heard that from a few free-to-play companies and saying, yeah, you just don't do it the same way anymore. You've got to put more legwork into it. And maybe that you just end up using Facebook, Facebook less than you used to because the old method was to target players through Facebook and the new method might be different social networks or different methods. And additional to uh, these causes that we're talking about, Meta is also trialing, they're trying to implement Reels uh, in a response to the TikTok format. However, the Reels format, it increases the user engagement, but it has a reputation of having lower monetization. So at the moment, they are sacrificing um, the monetization in favor to increase user engagement and to increase ad impressions per session. And from their calls, trans- sorry, from the earnings call transcript, it sounds like they're still trying to figure out how to monetize it better. So again, like they're making this change to respond to the competitive market, but it's still trying to scale up their monetization. So another thought angle I had about Meta trying to create this, this VR market is that I, it could be a do or die investment for Meta. We talk a lot about walled gardens in the podcast. And if we look at, let's look at some of the other key players. Microsoft has Windows and Azure. Amazon has AWS and a lot more. Apple has iOS and the the devices. Google has Android. And then you have Meta that doesn't own a hardware. It doesn't own a platform. And so it ends up being at the mercy of the competitors' platforms to reach the customers. And I think they've learned a lot from, you know, Apple can change a policy and that affects their core business tremendously. And so it sounds like they want to control the next platform. They are making a bet that mobile will eventually be deprecated by the audience in favor of virtual reality it doesn't have to be vr could also be could also be ar so what what yeah what do you think about that angle i was going to say that uh rumors of meta's death have been exaggerated you know just double check they got three billion dau across their products right so i think uh they just have so many eyeballs that they might be taking some missteps with product strategy or company strategy but they've just got so many people using their products that it, they it'd be a hell of a fall to go from three billion down to and when you compare them with tiktok that sure i think uh, tiktok's amazing but it's it's nothing compared with what they with the amount of users that use facebook it's just maybe a bit more bleeding edge or some something so we care about the new incoming stuff but so many people use meta's platforms that I don't see that going anyway, even if their share price and revenues are dipping. Yeah. Is it, is it do or die? I don't know. I, I agree with David, like they're in, they're still in a fairly strong position, um, but they are clearly making a huge, huge bet on this. They obviously renamed the company and I am, I am hesitant to bet against Zuck. Um, you know, he has control over the company. You know, it's a, it's still a founder led company basically the way that, that um, his shares and voting rights are structured. And he's committed to this. Like I know that he's actively involved in horizon and the reality lab stuff and all, all of this. So like, it's absolutely a huge bet for them. I think there are a lot of red flags, many of which we've pointed out, you know, there, there are reasons why big companies are not good at innovating. Um, you could go back to sort of the classic like innovators dilemma. There's there are sort of structural organizational reasons why it's difficult to spin up something new and and uh, disruptive within a large organization. They've taken a different approach where they have just retooled their entire organization. They've called it Meta. We're doing the metaverse. This is where we're going. Uh, so who knows? It will you know remains to be seen if that will sort of play out in their favor. But um, it's a huge bet. I don't think they're going to collapse if it fails, but they will be fundamentally um, different if it does fail, um, just from like a structural standpoint, let alone mm-hmm. all the money that they've poured into it. And I'd like to see them, I, I guess people seem to enjoy kicking meta. I'd actually like to see them make some headway. There's so few companies in the world that can afford to take this kind of bet, then to sort of hope that they fail 
if you believe in some version of the metaverse, seems like a little bit churlish, cutting off our nose to spite our face. I'd love them to figure some stuff out by spending a ton of money and getting a few things wrong before figuring out a version of this that, that works for everybody. That you know, I don't want that to be a monopoly of the, on the metaverse by any means, but I'd love for them to make a bit of traction and warm people up to the idea of a metaverse at least. Yeah, my, my indication for gaming is that we have to keep nimble and we're going to, as an industry, have to keep reinventing ourselves. We had free-to-play, now we're exploring Web3. And with this kind of investment into AR and VR and mixed reality technology and the metaverse, these new platforms might arrive, who knows, in five years' time, maybe 10 years, but you know, probably closer to, to the five years considering the investment that's being made. And so yeah, we'll have to keep nimble and look at the market and decide when to when to jump in. I think that VR AR piece is going to be the biggest, um, you know, immediate um, result of all this. Like the, there's the metaverse piece, which is kind of big and amorphous, um, but the VR AR from a hardware and like platform standpoint, they're clearly investing a lot there. They're buying up studios from a gaming perspective. I think that's where we'll see the most movement in the next, you know, three to five years is. They're going to be bringing on more users, producing more content, and creating an ecosystem for more VR AR content. Um, uh, so, I, personally, I'm I'm bullish on the growth there. Will it be as big as mobile and console? Probably not. Uh, probably not for mm-hmm. quite a while, if ever. Um, but to me, that's the the most immediate outcome. Setting aside the metaverse stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. And you would think that uh, with Apple building something, then uh, right. that would sort of now you've got two enormous players offering things in VR, AR world, uh, mm-hmm. both trying to outgun themselves in terms of creating engaging content and great hardware. And maybe if the two of them are duking it out with the, really trying to outdo each other, then that's a win for consumers and sort of helps form a new market. That'd be nice. I think it's a great angle to detach VR, AR hardware, like you're saying, Matt, from the metaverse ambitions. The thing that concerns me about Meta's strategy is if we compare the investment that Apple and Meta are doing into the hardware, you know, but also the the metaverse, it sounds like Meta is building this VR market. They're spending to create the market whilst Apple seems to be riding the wave. They're exploring this headset in terms of mixed reality, but Meta is making the biggest investment in trying to, to achieve it. So then their return on investment in terms of Apple will be will be higher. Um, and then additionally, earlier in the week, uh, China's, China released its first action plan dedicated to virtual reality devices. So I think we'll also like China has huge ambitions to become a tech leader globally. So they're also we're also going to see competition and innovation coming from that market. You think you're suggesting that Apple are coattailing on Meta? Don't think Apple would like that statement. <laughs> well, they're not not curtailing, but they're being more more cautious and not trying to get to the to maybe too early market at the moment in terms of that investment. Yeah, yeah, I guess. An- another way to frame it is that Apple is going after like a luxury um, audience rather than Facebook going for a mass market. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see with China also entering the market if they can get to the mass market with cheaper headsets, especially and looking I, at the new Oculus with the 1,500. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's pricey. And what, uh, I, I, I really don't know much about uh, China's VR ambitions. Is there a Xiaomi or something released a VR headset? Is there, is there hardware out there? I'm not, I'm not sure. It's more the yeah, global okay. action plan. They had a right. long action plan. I'm not sure if it was 10 years, but it's been going on for a few years that they want to overtake and be the global leaders in terms of tech and AI. Better release some products then. <laughs> <laughs> so just uh, something that I found really interesting, and you already covered, uh, Matt, is about the structure of Meta and how they have this unique structure in terms of Mark Zuckerberg being joint chair and CEO and controls 54% of the company's voting class shares, where Meta is uniquely positioned in terms of a publicly traded traded company to be able to be taking this bet with shareholders' um, money, essentially, because he can make these decisions and he can, you know, don't, he doesn't have to have significant concern over shareholder resistance. 
Uh, and I found their original culture book. Someone shared this on Twitter. And one of their cultural pillars is Facebook was not originally created to be a company. And another pillar was what would you do if you weren't afraid? And I big kudos and big respect to Meta because I really feel that this culture has permeated their decision into jumping and investing into the metaverse. So one thing we haven't mentioned yet, uh, we've talked about Meta kind of owning the AR, VR space. Apple is coming. Uh, there's also Sony uh, operating in the VR space, at least. And they just announced today, as we're recording this, that PSVR 2 is going to be coming out in February. And that's going to be priced at five hundred, roughly $550, um, which is what, like half the price, a little bit more than half the price of the, the high-end um, Oculus headset that we mentioned earlier. Um, so certainly on the gaming front, some competition there. Um, worth noting, you apparently cannot play original PSVR games mm-hmm. on the PSVR 2. Oh, not oh, badly not compatible. Uh, presumably the reason why they're cheaper, or at least a reason, is that the brains of that device sit in a PlayStation, not in the headset, right? Whereas right. Uh, mm-hmm. all, the, all the Meta's hardware is uh, standalone. Yeah, I would guess. yeah, I actually don't know the answer to that, but that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so they can afford um, to cut some costs. Yeah, they've got a list of some launch games that they're going to have here. There's a Crossfire game, if you know that series. Mm. Um, Jurassic World. I don't know. Uh, nothing sounds like super crazy here, but um, yeah, that's why as a on VR. as a consumer, I haven't jumped into VR. There isn't really a depth of games to justify the price point of acquiring the headset that then is likely to gather dust. You know, the litmus test that I always have, every, I haven't really, like you, sort of tried out all these games, but I'll ask people periodically, what's the game I should play for my VR headset? And it's, oh, you've got to play Beat Saber. And I think Beat Saber is a great game, but if that's always the answer, then, uh, you know, I, I'm waiting for something that uh, is bigger than Beat Saber. I know that yeah. there's, you know, there's various games, but uh, Half-Life, etc. But um when that's the answer that they always point me to, then it's not time. It's not my time for VR yet. Anyway, hmm. oh. well, it's a good way to wrap up the the discussion. Building the metaverse is expensive. Gaming, we're going to be here waiting to capitalize on this new platform and this new market. And although Meta is making a risky investment, we're hoping for the best because that means more platform for us to make it fun. Maybe we'll be making the metaverse fun. Who knows? (laughs) Well, um, yeah, Matt, David, thank you so much for joining today. That was a really interesting discussion. Very good. Thanks for doing all the homework. You did the heavy lifting on the homework, guys. Appreciate that. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) All the listeners know. (laughs) (laughs) Matt came back fresh from from his wedding, full of happiness. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on Navix Discord. You can sign up to the Navix Digest newsletter and see all of this great content and insights in other formats. You can see Matt's piece about Marvel Snap. And yeah, we'll see you again next week. Thanks you thank you for joining us.